Well, hi, and welcome to the Vote Her podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, and I am excited to be chatting with the smartest women I know when it comes to politics. So let's get it started. I'm Jen Jordan, and I am so excited for Thanksgiving. My baby boy is coming home, and I am ready to cook up a storm. And this is about as Southern as I get this week. And so I just just can't wait. I'm so glad to be here. I am Terry Anelowitz, State Representative from House District 42 in Cobb County, which is going to be hosting the 2025 MLB All-Star Game. That is an exciting development that happened over the past week, which we're going to talk about later in the show, especially because Terry got a lot of PR out of that, which we were very excited about. Well, thank you. But yes, yes. We were hanging on your every word, representative. Every word. Every representative, word. we were very excited that you got to weigh in on that. But first, let's weigh in immediately on the passing of Rosalind Carter, which it was, I don't want to say it was a shock, but it's still sad. Nevertheless, she was an iconic first lady and her her legacy transcends politics. I want you both to weigh in on any experiences that you had with her or the family and your thoughts on all of this. I'll go to you first, Representative. Well, Rosalind Carter was, of course, a huge, huge supporter of mental health in Georgia. She was with health, you know, health causes all around the world. She was the first lady of Georgia. But some of my favorite things about her are that we are birthday twins. We were both born on August 18th. She, so she's a fabulous Leo. She sewed her own wedding dress, a replica of which you can see at the Carter Center. I highly, highly, highly recommend going and visiting the exhibits at the Carter Center about the life of both her and President Carter. She bought her gorgeous embroidered gown for the inaugural gala at a boutique in Americas. I mean, these are all things that I think make her fabulous and lovely. But I think that her legacy really is the fact that she spoke up for caregivers and for particularly folks caring for people with mental health, with other illnesses, but just caregivers in general, way before we were having any kinds of conversations about caregiving and what it means to be a caregiver. And she was able to help policymakers understand that family caregivers, especially save the state and the nation, millions and millions and millions of dollars every year, huh? you know, and because they're, they're caring for their family members at tremendous sacrifice. And she was always a very big voice for that. But I just, she was a huge present at Agnes Scott College um, in the late 80s and early 90s, really in through the mid 90s. She was a, a guest lecturer there. She came annually. She's just, she has just been tireless and steadfast. And it is a huge loss. My deepest condolences to her family. Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of the same with President Carter. It's it's odd because you don't really think about him without her because they have been so steadfast um, in terms of their relationship. Um, and so you know, it, it's kind of odd that she went before he did. Um, and my, my daughter actually commented on that. But I, the last time that I saw her was years ago, actually. And it was when Koki was little and I was still nursing Koki. Um, and I had her in one of those kind of, uh, what are those things called? Like a sling. Be Bjorn, baby Whatever Bjorn. Whatever it was. Yeah, the it was more thing. of a 
because Koki nursed all the time. Koki nursed for two years. It's crazy. I wonder why the child is so confident now. It's because she had every need met when she was a baby. Um, But, you know, tired and looking frazzled all the time. And we were in South Georgia, Lawton and I, um, for something. And um, uh, President Carter was there and the First Lady. And the First Lady came up to me and she was more interested in in Corinna, right? She wanted to see the baby and she held Corinna and um, was just very loving. And it was just a real interaction. And I think that is kind of who she was. Like, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of things that were put on about her. She really was authentic. Um, and they they really did live their life authentically, which I have to tell you is very, very difficult when you're in politics, right? Um, even if you come from an authentic place to rise to the levels of power that they did, um, you know, to always kind of be grounded. And I think a lot of that came from her faith and, and her family. And um, it really is a loss uh, for the for the Carters. And, um, you know, we are friends with Jason, of course, and, and feeling very sad, you know, for all of them. Um, but man, what a legacy and, and, and what an amazing thing um, for all of us to have kind of been in her light a little bit. So going into Thanksgiving, just thankful, you know, for her life and um, for everything that she did for so many other people when she really didn't have to, right? Well, I only had one, I barely, it wasn't really an interna- interaction, but it was an unusual experience. This was in the 90s and I was really getting into the Atlanta food scene. And there was an Indian restaurant in Decatur called Madra Savan Baharan. I probably oh, yeah, am, yeah. I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, but this was like when people were just starting to like live on the edge as far as like trying different international cuisines. And of course, uh, the great food critic, John Kessler, if you're deep cut Atlanta, you know who John is. And John had written about this. So of course I had to go there and try it. I had no idea what I was ordering, what we were walking into. We went down, we sat down. It was like an old cafeteria turned into a Indian restaurant. And we were sitting there getting ordering. And then all of a sudden we see Secret Service circling the restaurant. And this was like, we're like, I remember saying to Mike, like, is that Secret Service? What's going on? And it turns out it was her. Uh, it was Rosalind and a guest. And they were there just having dinner. And I think it's not so unusual, but like you don't, like this was not a place you would expect to see a first, a former first lady on like a Tuesday night eating at this like very authentic Indian restaurant. And I think it just signifies how their minds were open. They were globally conscious and they were involved in their community, whether it be giving back to the community or just participating in cool things that were the city had to offer. So I didn't talk to her or anything, but I was just, I always thought that was the coolest thing. So there, I know it's not a glorious, you know, sorry. I mean, it was just, anyway, I can't even believe I remember it. Okay, um, well, um, everybody should visit the Carter Center and remember the Carters and how, like, I can't say enough how their legacy transcends politics. You really don't always think about this when it comes to former uh, presidents and their first ladies as far as just the con- 
the commitment to uh, global issues, global health, voting rights, being kind, uh, paying it forward, Habitat for Humanity, mental health, as you mentioned. This is really on another level. I know you both definitely feel the same way about the Carters in that way. Yeah, it's interesting because there was a lot of criticism about the Carter presidency. But if you if you look back on it, there are so many parallels to today in terms of what we're dealing with when you're talking about energy, you know, issues that we have and then peace in the Middle East or, you know, the disrest, all of that kind of stuff. Um they were really in the middle of it and grappling with the problems and really trying in in a very difficult situation, really trying to come up with some solutions. And I have to tell you, the solutions they came up with, if, if in fact we would have been able to see a lot of that through, um, I don't know if we would be in the same place today in terms of revisiting a lot of those challenges. And it's almost like uh, President Carter and, um, and his beautiful bride, um, we're a little bit ahead of the times. And um, maybe it's time to go back and, and look a little bit harder at a lot of the stuff that they tried to do. Well, and even with, you know, we're talking about redistricting because we have a special session starting the week after Thanksgiving. And he kind of, it was a lot of Jimmy Carter and his campaigns that sort of dragged Georgia into the future in terms of how we made sure people were elected in Georgia. Oh, well, then let's pivot straight into redistricting. Uh, Terry, you were, uh, I had a lot of PR last week. We heard you on Politically Georgia talking about the Braves Stadium at Truist Park is now going to have the All-Star Game in 2025. Um, you were, had a great hit with Politically Georgia. You did not plug the Vote Her podcast. Uh, Jen and I were remarking before you popped on how lame that yeah. was. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I really, really meant to. <laughs> I had every intention. And you know what? If you're listening, other Politically Georgia hosts, maybe you could have brought it up also. I don't know. They did a good job. Well, <laughs> no, they were no, interviewing was, you. So they basically, so I want you to both weigh on, in on this. Terry, talk about the All-Star Game 2025 uh, and what that means to your district and also redistricting because it seems like you're tiptoeing delicately, not so much with All-Star, but with redistricting. I felt a little tiptoeing. I think everybody who is elected in Georgia right now is being very careful with what we say about redistricting, because at the end of the day, the decisions that are going to be made with what these districts look like, both congressional and with the House and Senate districts, have most rank and file elected people in Georgia have very little input on how these districts are going to be drawn, right? I mean, there are, we know that maps are being drafted. And we know that at the root of this, right, we have an opinion from Judge Jones that is very, very, very specific, right? It's very specific in terms of which districts, Congressional House and Senate, are found to be in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And it's also very specific in terms of what remedies the judge has suggested he would like to see. And so I think a concern that a lot of folks... well. I'll say this. I think that the message that I'm getting from House leadership is that whatever the House does with these maps is going to try to be in the spirit of what this order is, right? 
It is trying to answer the judge's concerns because we know that we would really prefer to avoid having a special master come and draw the maps like what has happened in Alabama. And again, it's important to point out, right, Georgia is not the only state having to do this. Alabama has had to do this. Mississippi is doing this. Louisiana, I think they're going to be going into a special session soon. Their, their election cycle and their, their session cycle is different than ours is. They basically don't start anything till after Mardi Gras, uh, for, which is a valid reason. But we, are, we're, we, are, we need to get these maps ready for the 2024 elections and qualifying for those elections is in March, right? The primary is going to be in May. And so nobody wants delays. Everybody wants to know what district they're going to be running in. It's going to be interesting because you're going to have, there, there are going to be people who aren't able to run for office in the district that they're going to end up living in. Uh, if you haven't, it, it gets really, it gets really complicated. It's nuanced. So I think that the house, at least we want to try to be, I think, as straightforward as possible and address the concerns and the opinion. Um, there's always going to be a ripple effect anytime you change the boundaries of the district. But with Congress is where I think it's going to be pretty interesting also. What is the 6th district going to look like? What is the 7th district going to look like? Will Marjorie Taylor Greene still have a very Democratic part of South Cobb County, which is a really weird thing when you're talking about communities of interest? So. We convene on the 29th. The deadline that the judge has set is December 8th. So we'll see what happens. I, th I think we'll probably see maps a day or two before the special session. And then I think, which is, you know, good, gives everyone time to get totally worked into a lather before we go down to the Capitol. Yeah, there are a couple of things, and, and Terry was tiptoeing around it. But, I mean, uh, Judge Jones basically gave the the big things that have to happen, right, in terms of trying to remedy um, basically the unlawful, illegal, unconstitutional map drawing that the Republicans participated in this last time. And so he said, you know, you do these things, right, with respect to these districts. Now, with respect to that, okay, so let's say they, they do that. That doesn't prevent them from messing with people. And what do we mean by that? It's like, okay, let's say somebody's really ticked off Speaker Burns. Somebody's really ticked off somebody in the Senate. And so they say, all right, you know, let's say if I were in the still in the Senate, they would say, Jen Jordan, we're sick and tired of her. And, and she's mouthy <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to take care of this problem, <laughs> right? So all they do is they just drop that line a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you're in a different district. And when you're in the different district, you haven't lived in that district for a year because that would have been November 5th, to November 5th. So by the time these new maps go into place, it's going to be December, right? So they can easily just say, mm, we're going to take care of that Jen Jordan problem, right? And we're just going to draw her out. Now, if you're Steve Jones or, you know, the, the federal judge at the other level, if, if they take care of all the problems in terms of the, the, the problems that make the maps unconstitutional, you know, he's not going to turn around and be like, oh, but y'all were being mean to Jen Jordan. Y'all got to draw <laughs> her back in, right? So all this other little stuff around the edges, you know, there, there is a real way for them to mess around with people. And um, and I think the the other thing, and Terry and I have talked about this, 
talked about it with lots of people. You know, you have some really good candidates out there that have declared that they are running against certain incumbents. People need to keep their eyes on that because my guess is if you have a really serious challenge to to these Republicans, all of a sudden, is that challenger going to be drawn out of that district? And so that that is that's just the way they play. And um, and I think that's what's made people very, very nervous because there are there there really won't be an ability to remedy that. And um, so that's why folks are kind of keeping their heads down. Right. Um, Because, you know, you don't want to you don't want to say too much that that's going to maybe get the attention um, of the people in power right now. Well, Terry did a great job of dancing around that, too, because they kept saying, well, you know, Democrats are not in power there and what's going to be happening. Um, But here's what I do know for sure. Terry has all of her outfits laid out for the special session, getting ready to go back. I have. I been used to do that for, that. Sp- for yeah. session too. You did? Yeah, oh, I used to take yeah. pictures of it because, well, a, you know, you've got to look cute, but b, it is stressful. Like by the time you get into it, you aren't thinking about. All right, let me let me let me. What am I going to look like today? You literally just want to be able to put something on and hit the road. Yep. Don't you feel the same way, oh, Terry? One hundred percent. Decision fatigue is a very real thing. And I remember reading years ago about how, when you are the president, like you know, president, whether you're you know, both Bushes, Clinton, Obama, like they don't. You have to limit the decisions you make that aren't mission critical because you have to make so many decisions that are. And so like. It's why clothes. Steve Jobs, right? Yes, wore yeah. the black turtleneck every day. Yeah, he yeah. wore yeah. his Izzy Miyake turtleneck. No, you have to. So I t- like when I'm in a brain space to actually think about it and I'm not being bombarded with decision after decision after decision that is kind of mission critical to whatever the mission happens to be that day, not comparing myself to the president, but you have a lot of things thrown at you. I mean, you, you know, constantly. And so, no, I think about what I, I have like a, a note in my phone, basically, right? If an outfit combination occurs to me, I write it down. And then when I'm like, okay, what am I going to wear tomorrow? What am I going to wear next week? What meetings? And you also, you're basing it right on what you're going to be doing, where you're going to be, because shoe choice is very important at the Capitol. Um, Really important. We need to talk about this more because I remember when we talked to Donna Lowry uh, when she did the Mm -hmm. debate and I asked her what she was wearing and she was going into why that was so important. And then, Terry, when you went to Taiwan and um, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, are you laying out all your outfits for that? Because it's it's just, I think this is something that women have to think about a lot more than men because men can wear the same blue suit every single day and nobody knows the difference. We have to really put a lot of effort into our look and um, your presentation and, and, and that does affect people and affects the way you carry yourself, when, especially in your decision-making, as you both mentioned. Oh, yeah. Well, and this goes into the entire conversation about women and mental labor and the mental load that we all carry. I mean, chances are everyone speaking on this podcast and a lot of the people listening could probably rattle off what the inventory is of toilet paper in their house, when, at what point in the week they're going to need to restock on milk and bananas, like all of those other things that we're already thinking about. Like, I think if I could get rid of the mental burden of unnecessary detritus, I feel like I'd be unstoppable. But 
the reality you are is unstoppable. I will never get rid of the mental burden. There's always, I mean, what, 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 what could we do if we freed up the part of the brain not thinking about, which again is why Steve Jobs wore the same black turtleneck and jeans, right? Because he could free up then that part of his brain. And Ina Garden wears that same denim shirt in every episode. Don't. You get yes. Anna Garten's name out of your mouth, man. You know, do you know what? I, we've talked about this. She is the only woman who my husband would leave me for tomorrow. Wow. I watch he her every night me. before I go to bed. She's the oh, best. Okay. If Jeffrey dies, I got to like level level up because he's going to be making a move. On <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the All-Star Game for a second because they announced... It's coming back in 2025, which honestly, I you know, listen, it's great. But I, J.C. Bradbury, who's the economist at um, Kennesaw State University, who's always talking about like how uh, these big events don't really boost the economy. It's all bullshit. It's all press release stuff. Uh, I wasn't thrilled when they pulled the All-Star Game because I think they unfairly blamed Democrats on it. I think there's, I have all kinds of conspiracy theories about why that happened and the timing of it all. But people seem to be, Republicans use this as their like badge of honor. Like, you see, you see, we're not going to let the woke people take our baseball away. What do you think of all of this, ladies? So when it first happened, I was the state senator for the area and Terry was the state rep. And we were very clear that we were not in favor of this. And it was interesting because I literally did not know a single, especially elected Democrat, who came out in favor of this happening. But there wasn't a big conspiracy. Really, if you think about it, the MLB game is, um, the players are, are playing kind of because they want to. They don't have to pet play. And so my guess is is that a lot of the players said, we're not going to go and we're not going to play. So I, I don't, I think MLB had no choice but to pull it back that year because, you know, it's not like MLB is some kind of real big progressive woke, you know, kind of institution. It's not. And so I think it really was a matter of a business decision for them but based more on the fact that they had to make sure that they had the players who would be willing to show up to play. I agree 100%. It was a decision that impacted our community and our district because, you know, the reality is that I do know that hospitality, restaurants, hotels, they were planning their numbers for the year based on, based in part on what was going to be happening with the All-Star Game. That's just a fact. But I also know that, yeah, I mean, I don't know any Democrats in Georgia who were like, yeah, go MLB. No, we were like, please, guys, keep the game. This was a, they they have their employees, right? The MLB has their constituency. They have their players. And you're right. Honestly, when you're an MLB player, when you're playing a game that's not necessary, you're kind of taking a risk. You could throw out your shoulder. You could twist your ankle. You could, you know, tear your ACL. All kinds of things could happen. And these are not, you know, this isn't the World Series game, right? This is, this can hurt what happens with 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 your future as a player so and the players are very diverse there very, are a lot of, very there are a lot very of players who are like no thanks yes like, and so yeah the mlb had to do their own damage control denver was re- ready they didn't have anything going on. i mean it was such and i talked about this on the, the politically georgia show last week you have to really go back to the context and everything was so heated i mean this was in the Golly. immediate wake of Oof. stop the steal 
The whole reason SB202 existed was because all these Republicans have been talking about how our elections weren't secure, when in fact they were completely secure, as was proven time and time again, every time it was proved again that no votes were stolen for Donald Trump. There were no 11,780 votes, whatever it was. It didn't exist. Voter fraud in Georgia was a fiction. And everybody who was working on SB202 knew that voter fraud in Georgia was a fiction. But they had to, they had to capitulate to their base, right? So they had to, oh, well, we're going to do something. We're going to make sure Georgia's votes are safe. It was already safe and secure in Georgia. It already was. That's just the reality. But they had to do something to prove to their red meat base in the primary because they were all terrified of being primary, right? Because who knew? what Donald Trump was going to do and who he was going to endorse and who he might decide to go after next. Right. And so they did this bill that didn't do anything to make voting any safer in Georgia because it already was safe. It just made it harder to vote in Georgia. And so, I mean, it was, we cannot, you know, two years away from that, we cannot, I think, understate how, tense everything was and how tense things were for Republicans, especially because they were all terrified that they were going to be the next target on Trump's list. Well, they're still going to risk that, too. Yeah. But also, let's let's be clear that there were very clear headed people uh, behind this bill, too, who oh, yeah. a lot of this is not necessarily kind of just complete disenfranchisement. Right. It really is about just taking off enough, um, just suppressing enough. And when you're talking about numbers that are so close mm-hmm. in an election, mm-hmm. I mean, just look at the, the Biden numbers, 12,000 in, in a statewide. If you do just enough, right, to take out some of these Democratic voters, um, then you win. You win. No, and that, that, and that right. is basically changing the rules, you know, to suit your purpose. That's what that's what right. they do. Well, and also setting the stage for serious chaos in the aftermath of an election. I mean, well, with, that's with, coming. I mean, yeah, that's all coming. There are in provisions that, in that bill that set the stage for serious, serious chaos. I think that's the the problematic thing about it all is that and, and we said it on this podcast all the time. It's this was a law based on a lie. Hard stop. There was no voter fraud. Look, I, I have visions of um Governor Brian Camp dropping off his Dropbox, making a cute little video about it because he had COVID or he was exposed to COVID and there he was and he didn't seem to have any problems with the security of his ballot. So I think that that it just, I hated it. I hate that the MLB did it because it really was red meat for the Georgia Republicans and it continues to be. They're still waving that flag of that. And you know, may have been unfortunate for the Braves as as far as like them being targeted too, like as if they had something to do with it, which nobody will really know. (laughs) There's probably a lot of secrets we don't don't know. I don't think the Braves had anything to do with it. Yeah, I don't think so so either. I mean, again, not a progressive woke organization. Yes, yes. So go Braves. Yeah, I mean, that was just a crappy time. And it's just like, even Stacey Abrams was like, I had nothing. Nothing to do with this. Play the game. We all wanted it. The one thing that I thought was such bullshit, though, when they talk about the economy and what the uh, and the, the All Star Game will bring, and they were like, all oh, those downtown Atlanta businesses that are going to lose so much money. Like, come on now. Like, 
people are where the park is and where downtown is. Sure, there may be some people staying in downtown Atlanta, but come on now. This is like not. No, it was completely overstated. Bullshit. Total I mean, bullshit. There, obviously, there was going to be some benefit. Not only that, but it feels good, right? It's it's a celebration. and Totally. It, it, and it's awesome to have a game like that. It's it's something to bring us together, especially coming out of COVID and all of that. So, right. yeah, it felt, didn't feel it good to have it. It sucked. It did suck. It sucked yeah. to have it pulled. But it did. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, I was going to make some money and everything, but but there's more to it sometimes than just kind of the financial benefit. I mean, it, it baseball brings people together, and you know, it was a really good thing that you know, just kind of. Well, maybe well, don't make a law on a lie, and then you won't. Yeah, have I mean, that it was, happen. <laughs> it was going to be a big chance for Cobb County to show off because it was the first big. You know, this was before the World Series, right? It was the first that's big, true. like, that's true. national, yeah. national yeah. thing. And so it was such a, it just it sucked. Was it, was, it, sucked. it was a real bummer. It was a real bummer because we were like, oh my God, like, the where every baseball fan in America is going to be looking at us in Cobb County. And this is pretty great, right? Because Cobb County has come so far. I mean, Cobb County did not have any events in the 1996 Olympics, right? And the reason no events were hosted in Cobb is because we had a county commission at the time that was talking about how the homosexual lifestyle was not compatible with Cobb values. And that was like in a resolution. That's why there weren't any Olympic events. Do y'all remember? Okay, Mara, we talked about wow. Here's a real deep Atlanta cut. Yeah. Do y'all remember the bumper stickers that said I'm Cobbophobic? I don't. Ooh, I don't. Oh, no, that was a thing. Wow. I'm Cobb. Yeah, people who did not live in Cobb I was living in Decatur at the time, which was definitely cobophobic. And we were talking, you know, this, but you had this on cobophobic bumper stickers because of the homophobia on the Cobb County Commission. Flash to 2021 when the Cobb County Commission was, you know, like Cobb County was voting for Hillary Clinton. Cobb County was voting for Biden. Wow. We had a, you know, a Democrat controlled county commission now, right? So, and that was the other thing. You MLB is like, we're going to try to punish, you know, Georgia for SB202. It's like, no, you're punishing Cobb County. And like, we've done a really good job, y'all. Like, we're a Democratic county now. We're a blue county. Well, so that was also why it was so disappointing. Yeah, I also remember the the thing that I associate with Cobb County a lot, too, is how they wanted to teach creationism in schools. And that was a big, big thing. I remember yeah, that, that. That was in this century, even. Yeah. The um, evolution yes. is a theory sticker. So yeah, again, that yes. was like, that's what Cobb County was. I like to call those pre-gen times. Pre-gen. <laughs> yeah, that was before we moved to Cobb. And I think that we, we, we did it, Jen. We did it. We you did, did it, Jen. You did All it. on our own, you did it. Uh, okay, did it. moving forward. Um, before we get to what we're raving about, uh, I found this really interesting. Adam King Kinzinger, the former congressman, was in Atlanta at the Atlanta Jewish Book Fest. He was being interviewed by Greg Bluestein, and he basically said, "Quote." I can't believe I'm about to say say this, he said, before promising he'd be back in Georgia next year to campaign against Trump. So what do you all think about this? I mean, I, I you know, he's he's been very vocal about he's just sort of escaping his party. And he's like, do you want to vote for uh, authority, you know, author, authoritarianism or democracy? Make your choice. That's a pretty big thing. I mean, he's just burning it all down. Um, what, what do we think? I thought that was, I, I like him. 
I've been sort of fascinated with him. I don't agree with all his views, but I really give people like that credit who just don't want their name. I've heard him say in interviews that he doesn't want his son to read about him or his, I think it's his son or maybe daughter. I don't know, whatever. He has a little kid talking about the legacy of reading about their dad and, you know, what they did and and what kind of patriot they really were. So I found this really, really interesting. I just wanted your take on this. I, I think he's fascinating. And I think he's somebody with a military background. I think he's smart. I think he's somebody to keep an eye on in terms of the national scene as we go forward. Um, you know, he was on Politically Georgia last week, I think, before leading up to the book um, interview that he had with Greg Bluestein. And one of the things that he said that was just really, I just really connected with was this idea that he even indicated he thinks he may have some PTSD coming out of everything that happened. Because think about it, like they were attacked on January 6th. Can you imagine? I remember texting Nakima Williams and she's like, I'm hiding under, um, you know, my desk and uh, not knowing what was going on and being cut off from communications and and knowing that there were armed people who wanted to, to kill members of Congress and the kind of the gaslighting that was going on where like the reality is like, people really trying to tear down our democracy in this institution. And if you're somebody who's coming from a military background, especially, my dad was a career Marine, and and I know this, like, it is country first, right? Like, you are putting your life on your line for your country, whether you're standing up for Democrats or Republicans or people who don't vote or whatever. It is the United States of America. And so I think this was particularly offensive for him and something he just could not stand by and and see happen. And the deal is that, you know, I think he was like the rest of us that like after January 6th, it was like, okay, this is a cold bath, right? We can, the Republicans can wake up and, and, and now we're going to be normal again. And by God, it didn't take more than two or three weeks for, for them to get right back lock into step with, with Trump. And I think for him, that that's just... You can't be that way. You can't unsee what you see, what you've seen. Um, And you definitely can't unsee somebody really trying to destroy our country um, and our government. Well, I keep thinking about like when like I have friends who have left the evangelical church. They're still Christians, but they're no longer part of this American evangelical movement. And the term they use to describe what they've sort of experienced, they call it deconstruction. And I think we're going to be seeing more. I don't know what the Republicans are going to be calling themselves who are leaving the Republican Party because of the persistence of, of the Trump phenomena. But there, I think we're going to start seeing more and more of them because I think that they realize that it's just not, it's, it's untenable, right? And so I'm not surprised at all that Kinsinger says, I mean, hopefully more of them will start to say, look, we, this is not okay. We cannot do this. And, you know, we can, the country can survive four more years. You know, this is Republicans, right? Saying, you know, we, we can survive four more years of Biden, but we don't know what's going to happen if we have four more years of Trump. And I think that, I think we'll start hearing more of this again. That's always me being an optimist, right? But I do think that 
all of us, when we talk to Republicans, right, they're all saying this. They're all saying it can't be Trump. It can't be Trump. They're not saying it out loud yet, but I think they need to. At the same time, though, yeah, we have people in the state of Georgia who are like, well, I'll support, you know, I don't like Trump, but I'll support the nominee. The the governor. I mean, we've got, you know, that's the thing. It's just like they all know. They all know so much, but yet he's leading in the polls and he's the front runner and nobody can catch him. And it is truly bizarre. So I think people like Kinziger, he's a rarity. There are so few of those people who are brave enough to put themselves out there, uh, which it's, it, it is just fascinating to me. And it, it truly, it is such a cult. These people are in a deep, deep cult. They can't get out of it. And on top of that, aligning to the cult is a proven loser. I mean, it's just election after election, everybody who he anoints and he will burn you down. It's just, it's, it's, it's like, he's a, how is he different from Charles Manson? I mean, it's like cult leader. But you we'll also, but you also have to see that there are a lot of, my guess is there are a lot of good, solid I don't even know what you call it. Republicans. Some may would say Reagan. I don't know what they are. Anyway. Reagan Republicans is kind of a Reagan Isaacson Republicans. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's yes. Yeah, but Isaacson was effectively a Democrat. I mean, oh, he, he would never be make it out of a primary, but yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Until he, he wouldn't make it out of a primary. Um, so it's one of those. They're out there, but a lot of those folks are keeping their heads down, waiting for for things to normalize again. I mean, I think Jeff Duncan's kind of like that. He kind of took himself out of electoral politics um, because whether or not he thought he could win, maybe he thought he couldn't win in Georgia right now. Um, But I don't think he wanted to be put in a situation where he had to make a call, right? Where he had to show fealty to Trump at the same time that he's running when he didn't feel that. So I think people are just kind of waiting you know, I call it a fever dream for the fever dream to break. But when is it too late, right? It's like, so, you know, Kinziger may be like planting the seeds as far as like, maybe he's looking at a 28 situation. But, and maybe that's why he's doing it now because it's people like us were like, oh, you know what? You know, he's Well, sort that's of how just, McCain was too, remember? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think too, a lot of what, you know, when you, the people who are saying, well, I'll support the nominee, versus the people who are saying absolutely not Trump, I think is, yeah, who is who is looking at whatever the next primary might be versus who is in this for the long game and they're looking at what they might want to run for in 26, 28. Or maybe they're not they're, even thinking about politics at all. They're right, just like right. our country. Or our country. <laughs> right? Or they're thinking about what is, you know, what? I mean, I'm now I'm being cynical, right? But they're thinking about, you know, which boards do I eventually want to get a position on? And would those boards look kindly upon me being like, yay, Trump, <laughs> you know, like which, you know, when I, when that it is comes very time cynical, for me, Terry. it's cynical, but it's also like, it is, I, it is, it is so, it is so vile to me that like, after all we know, after everything, people, anybody who still says they're supporting, uh, uh, former President Trump, to me, if you are at this point, I mean, I was like this look in 2020. I mean, I've, I, I'm sorry. You know, you can like the policies, but this is a fascist dictator. Uh, and, and this is very, very scary shit. And the fact that the polls and people seem to be supporting it and they're just turning a blind eye after they were basically almost murdered by the, their supporters mm-hmm. is just absolute crazy town. So tip of the hat. Well, 
to Kinziger. Yeah. And here's everyone's pro tip for Thanksgiving. If someone you're at Thanksgiving with is like, well, you know, Trump, yeah, you know, but I like his policies. Ask them which policies drill down, make them get specific. Chances are they probably can't drill down and get specific. So if you want to be a passive aggressive person, which I may or may not endorse, um, just be like, which policies? It's a good pro tip. All right. Thanksgiving. That's a good segue. Let's talk about what we're raving about this week. Jen, do you want to go first? Oh my God. I am raving about my menus for this week, which I, I'm going to show y'all. I have it all written out, all my food <laughs> oh my for the various days. I've got my lunches. I've got my breakfast. I've got everything because this this is where I shine, ladies. So that is what I am raving about. And I would love to feed everybody, but I'm specifically going to feed my my family. I love it. I love it. And I, I really appreciate that you have this all in a notebook because I've been doing that also. We are... And it's very uh, Terry-like, Jen. Well, and, uh, well, it's not it's a spreadsheet. -like. <laughs> yes. Well, I... This is going to be a very different Thanksgiving for our family because usually we go down to New Orleans. There's usually about... 50 to 60 people at dinner at wow. my parents' house. No, it's big. Like I cook very large quantities. And, you know, we, we've been out, you know, we, you know, my mom will start roasting turkeys a couple of weeks ahead of time and slicing, like she'll roast breasts and she'll roast thigh. Actually, like not roasting the whole Norman Rockwell turkey, but it's, uh, this is another good pro tip. Get your pieces separate, like get your thighs, get your breast. It, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. You're going to pay a little more than you would for a whole turkey, but you're kind of buying time and buying not having to hassle with like pulling bags of gizzards out of a turkey carcass. Uh, so, but anyway, we're doing it in Georgia this year, which is great. I love it because my son does not finish school until tomorrow. So this makes it a lot easier, a lot less stressful for him. There's a lot to be said, and this is me projecting now. I think it's really important for kids that, especially that first Thanksgiving home, to be able to come home to their room, kind of exhale. I say I'm projecting because I wasn't able to do that. My parents moved into a new house in New Orleans from Houston after I was already in college. So I'd mm. never seen, I really didn't have a bedroom to go home to. And wow, it still lingers. Like that was still a really big thing and I'm 47 <laughs> years old. So it was, I was really glad that, I, that my son can come home to his room and we are going up to my cousin's house. I don't know how many leftovers we're going to have, which is why my husband smoked a turkey breast yesterday and we sliced it and we have it in the freezer ready to go for leftovers. But yeah, I'm, um, we're, I'm making the cornbread dressing, which is kind of my thing because I don't trust anybody else to make it. And it's my number one favorite Thanksgiving food. Well, I'm raving about uh, Thanksgiving that is catered because I am <laughs> going down to my mom's in Boca Raton, and she, uh, the my her kitchen is just not equipped for cooking. It really is, and and you could cook, but the amount of um, nagging and barking from her while the cooking because she's not used to cooking ever so the tools aren't there it's an old electric stove it's just it looks like amazing but it doesn't do shit so we have gotten the catered turkey meal i have to order that and mike and i have to order and control that every year uh, last year we 
actually ordered a thing from Costco. I remember. And it didn't come. It didn't <gasps> show up. And it was oh, the no. biggest thing. So we ended up, um, and this is like, I'll still, I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill. The turkey is bullshit. We got two chickens from Costco and Mike roasted them up and like slapped some rosemary and like sea salt on it and made it all crispy and nobody complained. It was fine. So this year, I, it, the dinners, the, it, we got it from Whole Foods. You know, actually in Atlanta, there's a lot more choices of like barbecue restaurants and different mm-hmm. restaurants provide the catering. The Whole there's Foods lo- um, packages are actually good. The, the turkey's really good. We used, I used to get the cooked turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I, yeah, Whole well, Foods is that. great. And yeah, don't we sleep got on Popeye's because I think Popeye's will do the fried turkeys. I think. Maybe that's just in Louisiana. Uh, oh, I, I think bet that's that a Louisiana yeah, thing. Yeah, fried turkey, that's a hot thing this year. I mean, shout out Kim Severson had a big oh, yeah. whole article about fried turkey. That's too scary for me it to do. It is me. ridiculous. <laughs> my, my mother and stepfather used to do that. And you just drop the bird in, not, yeah, very no. scary. <laughs> no, it terrifies me. I'm like, I, I, yeah, I was at the store. I saw the, you know, the five-gallon jugs of peanut oil. I was like, oh, don't do it. People. Yeah, it's you've got to... go to Popeye's. Yeah, you've got to be like experienced, someone who knows what they're doing. All right, ladies. Well, this is uh, exciting for Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thank you to all of our listeners. Please leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or just come up to us in the grocery store and tell us you listen. We really like that. I mean, I like it. I don't know about Jen. Definitely Terry. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Love it. Okay, we'll talk to you next week. 